Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I'm delighted to have you here with me for another edition of this film and entertainment industry podcast. It has been quite a while since I've been here. I think it's been two weeks since I last recorded an episode, my last one being for the Marvels and the MCU, which was an episode I really enjoyed, but uh, life has been crazy, and I'm sure most people listening to this have a day job, and they understand that sometimes life just gets in the way, and where my day job has been so crazy lately, I've had to really pick and choose my hobbies. And recently, I was told to look at this as two separate hobbies. I have watching movies as a hobby, which I'm able to consistently do, and I have podcasting as a hobby. And it's sometimes hard to fit two hobbies into your schedule consistently when one of them involves quite a bit of prep work and planning and just a lot more to it than just sitting on the couch. So... In this time, uh, while my work has been crazy and I'm getting very drained, I get home and I've been choosing to watch movies or go to the movie instead of prepping and recording and editing and posting for episodes, which does have me a little bummed because, as I'm sure you know, there's nothing I love more than talking about movies. I Maybe the only thing is watching movies. Uh, I love to watch them, but I really do enjoy coming on here and talking about them, sharing my thoughts, and then hearing what you think about the episode and the movies I talked about, or hearing that me discussing a movie convinced you to give a shot and watch it and you loved it or hated it. I love the discourse. I love disagreeing with people about movies. So I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks I can get some normalcy back in my life, but of course we have the holidays coming up, so TBD on whether that's actually going to happen, but fingers crossed on that. Regardless, I have continued seeing movies. And while I have not been posting on social media, Instagram and TikTok, follow me at Sidekick Critic, always I am posting on Letterboxd. And in lieu of recording episodes, I've been increasing the reviews I leave on Letterboxd. Pretty much every movie I watch now, I make sure I leave at least a one to two sentence review. Typically, it's more like a paragraph, just sharing my thoughts on the movie. So get letterboxd i've been slowly getting more people on there and getting them to use it more often it's really nice if you have friends you can see what they're watching as well for someone like me i watch a movie three to four times a week at a minimum so every single day you're on there you're going to see new recent activity from me of what i've just watched but even with my friends it's nice to see what they've recently watched and see their thoughts on movies and even use that as a recommendation for what i've what i could watch next Anyways, that's where I've been. It's it's just been such a draining and crazy time. I have not been able to podcast and I really missed it. So while I still didn't have time to prep or make a plan much, I said to myself today, you know what? I'm really in the mood to talk about movies. So I'm here to just talk about movies. I've seen a ton of new movies still in theaters. I've been watching a ton at home. So today I'm going to talk about a bunch of the new releases I've seen lately that I have not had time to talk about, uh, and I'm really excited. So let's start with the most recent movie from, or one of the most recent movies from Netflix, uh, from director David Fincher. You may know him as he was the director for The Social Network, Gone Girl, Fight Club, many other movies that are great movies. This is his most recent release. It is The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. I am very split on what I think about this movie and how much I really like it. On one hand, the movie is very unique. Uh, You follow the main character for 97% of the movie. I think there's maybe one scene for 10 seconds long where our protagonist is not in the view, where it is not Michael Fassbender. 
And not only are you following this character for the entire entire movie, there are no subjective scenes. He's also narrating the movie as it's happening. And the movie is a great example of a unreliable narrator as he is constantly contradicting himself with this repeated almost mantra he keeps telling himself uh, along the lines of forbid empathy, but you continually see him empathize with people or anticipate don't improvise where he is constantly improvising rather than anticipating. So on that level, it's very intriguing of how Fincher constructed the story and directed the story around around one character and how Michael Fassbender portrays this character and how much of a contradiction he is to himself. Uh, he professes himself to be some type of expert and it's very clear he makes countless mistakes. So that is intriguing to me, but on the other hand, it does feel very surface level. I not, Boredom isn't necessarily the right term, but I was never fully sucked in and completely and utterly wrapped with my attention into this movie. It was a very low level of intrigue throughout for me. The story is interesting at a base level, but I couldn't find much depth there unless I really dug around for it. And it feels like one of those movies that I will have to rewatch one day down the line, and I definitely will. I do it with almost every movie unless I really dislike it. And I'm curious how my thoughts on it will change with the second viewing, knowing what the story is and being able to pay attention to the movie a little bit more. The action is pretty good in it. Uh, it has that Fincher-esque quality where you can tell everything is just just done the exact right way that it needs to be how he visualized it. And I think that's good. There is this level of deadpan humor to it that is incredibly unique. It's almost banal at times with how uh, the killer presents his ideas and his jokes and the jokes it has on society at large are great. So all in all, I would recommend this movie. I think most people would be able to sit back and enjoy it. There's one particular action sequence that really did capture my attention, but it, it's interesting. And I think if you're a fan of the Fincher movies, which most people are, at least one of them, whether it's Social Network or Gone Girl or Fight Club or Curious Case of Benjamin Button, there's at least one of his movies you've probably enjoyed in your life. I think you will enjoy this. I think everyone can find something to like out of this, but you have to know you're going into this. It's not going to be Fight Club with these big moments and this crazy twist. It's going to kind of slowly bring you through the story and what's happening, and that's okay sometimes. Like I said, it's on Netflix. For The Killer, I'm going to give it a 7.9 out of 10. There's a strong chance on rewatch that either drops heavily or is bumped up quite a bit. Still pretty mid-tier for me in terms of Fincher. I don't think it'll surpass uh, multiple of his other movies in my mind. Like I said, it's going to be all 2023 movies today, so we're moving on. Here's my review for Priscilla from director Sofia Coppola. So I watched Lost in Translation, and maybe I'll talk about that one day, but I watched it in preparation for Priscilla, and it gave me a little bit of an idea of what to expect from this movie, and that is Sofia Coppola's movies kind of meander through the story and move very slowly. They're not super climactic. It's a very steady, slow pace. I really... I'll probably repeat meandering a lot because it feels the best way to say that, and Priscilla is no different. I saw it with my fiance Abigail, my friend Anastasia, and neither of them liked it. They actually both strongly disliked it, and I can't fault any of their qualms, so to say, with this movie. I get them. 
One of the biggest ones that I also felt was the pacing for this for this movie feels very strange. Um, you spend about the first two thirds of the movie in a five year span of Priscilla's life with Elvis, and then the final third jumps you forward fifteen years with. 10 of those being just a 20-minute montage. It's very strange to do it that way. I think the movie could have benefited from a little bit more length to give the story room to breathe for us to see some more character development from Priscilla Presley. Another concern of theirs that I actually did disagree with was the casting of Kaylee Spaney. I do agree she looks young. Even when she's supposed to be 35, she still looks like she's very low 20s. But I think that's kind of the point. I, I think... That is how Priscilla feels about her own story, from what I understand, is that she was incredibly young. She met Elvis at 14. She was essentially groomed to being his wife and to being so dependent on him and being drawn into his life. So I think that aspect of casting her and continuing to have her look young throughout is very intentional. And my fiance said at one point in the beginning of the movie, Priscilla meets Elvis because someone at the diner just sees her and invites her to come meet Elvis. And uh, Abby was like, why is that the case? Why is that happening? And in my opinion, because that is intentional. Elvis had people that were looking for young girls for him to meet. And he meets this very innocent young girl in Priscilla and takes it slow with her, so to say, and eventually makes her his wife and just keeps her around at his beck and call. It's a very interesting take on Elvis. It's a much darker take than Baz Luhrmann's Elvis from last year. And being played by Jacob Elordi, I really liked him. And I liked him for the specific reason that he, Elvis, of course, as a person was a main character. He was very influential. He was an icon. He was a bigger than life star. In order to to play Elvis in a movie that's not about Elvis, you have to balance the line of that energy and that stardom and that main character vibe is there, but you are not the main character of the movie. You have to let Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla breathe and let her be the main focus. I think Jacob Elordi did a great job with that. I think his height was perfect in terms of showing the difference in the dynamic between Elvis and Priscilla. So there are aspects like that from this movie that I think are done really well. The the problem really comes down to the meandering story and the fact that there is no climactic moment. Even their eventual divorce kind of just sneaks up on you and is gone within a minute and a half, two minutes. There's not much emotion and heart in that scene. And Sophia Sophia's movie is based on the book Elvis and Me by Priscilla. I, I think it's very interesting and she worked closely with Priscilla on the movie. So it's very intriguing to know that that's how Priscilla saw it and she approves of the movie and that's how she feels is best represented. It makes for a bad movie, but an interesting story, I think. I it, This is one of the, those movies where the things it does well, I think it really nails. It, the depiction of grooming and the trap that Priscilla Presley was brought into made me truly uncomfortable at times. Uh, that I can say is probably the strongest aspect of this movie, but unfortunately the nature of the story and it not having any huge massive moments kind of downgraded a bit. I, I believe this movie will be a lot better for me on a rewatch knowing how slow it is. The 
technical and production aspects in the movie are great. The muted but vibrant colors that Sophia introduced into Graceland and into Priscilla's life really are a lot of fun for me. I love that pink fuzzy carpet at the beginning, uh, the outfits, the way she does her hair and every It's very well done from a technical aspect. It's a story where it kind of falls off, not only for me, but for other people that have seen it. All in all, I did like it. I just would recommend it to people with the caveat that the movie is kind of boring at times because that pacing is so strange. Priscilla from director Sofia Coppola is going to get a 7.2 out of 10 for me. So it's really middle of the pack on movies I've seen this year. And I was so excited for this. If I'd loved it, there's a sweatshirt I saw on the A24 website that I was excited to buy, but I didn't love it. And it doesn't warrant having merch or anything because it's just, it's a hard movie to love, I think is a really succinct way to put it. But that's enough on Priscilla Presley. We're going to keep going. The next movie I have is another at-home streaming movie. It's on Hulu. It is Quiz Lady. This movie stars Aquafina and Sandra Oh. Aquafina plays the role of the younger sister who has a very boring, steady life. She works a desk job. No one at work really knows her. She sits at home and watches a trivia show with her dog every night. Her older sister, played by Sandra Oh, is the eccentric one who can never quite figure their life out, is always partying, jumping from one thing to the next. What I most love about this movie is if you had told me about those two characters and they were played by Aquafina and Sandra Oh, I would have expected they would be playing the opposite roles. So it was a real fun experience watching the movie to see Aquafina play this more boring character essentially and see Sandra Oh be this nutball character. I really like that aspect. There's not much I have to say about the movie. It's very cute. It's very funny. Uh, it is almost a tribute to Alec Trebek in my opinion. I really liked that aspect of it, the late Jeopardy host. I think it felt very genuine and I got that presence from it of knowing how much Alex Trebek cared about Jeopardy and how much Will Ferrell's character as the host cared about his show. All in all, I think this is a great movie for a rainy Sunday afternoon when there's no football, you have nothing to do. You don't really want to pay attention to a movie, but you want to have some laughs, something cute, easy, light on the mind. Quiz Lady was enjoyable. It's going to get a 6.8 out of 10. I would recommend it. Okay, uh, back to an in-theater release. Now I'm going to talk about Faux. Faux stars Cersei Ronan and Paul Mezcal, and the story's about the far-off future when life on Earth is just getting worse and worse with droughts and fires, and there is now a space colony being built, and certain people are selected, and for... Uh, Ronan Mezcal's character, only the husband, played by Mezcal, is selected. There were some very specific moments in this movie that I loved it, but more than anything else, I was pretty bored and disinterested for a large portion of the movie. I think Ronan and Mezcal both deliver really good, solid performances in a vacuum by themselves. I just didn't feel the chemistry between their characters, and I could believe an argument that that's intentional with the plot of the movie, but it just doesn't sit right, and it kind of it keeps you from being invested because you don't get invested in the relationship as much as you really could in this movie. 
that lack of chemistry is unfortunate. But what I did love and who felt great on screen with both Ronan and Mezcal was Aaron Pierre. Uh, he was electric. He captured my attention every single time he was on the screen. I'm excited to see what else he does. This, I, I, I don't know if I'd recommend this movie to people, unfortunately. While I love watching all movies and I will always be able to take something away, I think for most people this movie will be kind of a miss. I believe it's going to be on Amazon Prime very soon if it's not already. So if you're someone that's going deep into your movie bag and want to watch something you wouldn't normally watch, Foe is a good choice. It has those good individual performances. It has a decent twist. I was not able to predict it. I knew there was a twist. You could tell from the very start of the movie that it was building to some type of reveal or twist. I guessed wrong. Sometimes that happens. It's always hard to get that. But all in all, Foe for me is going to get a... 6.2 out of 10. So on the lower end for what I've seen in 2023. Okay, we're going to keep rolling. I have one more of these kind of rapid fire reviews to do. And this was another movie that I've been very much looking forward to. You may have heard me mention it before. Let's talk about Anatomy of a Fall. What a stellar movie this is. And there are so many reasons that I can't identify and Point two of why it is stellar, but there also is a lot of indescribable, intangible aspects that make this movie great. First off, the ambiguity within the story is amazing. It leaves so much up to the audience to decide on what they believe the truth is in the end, and that's such an excellent decision. And there are some specific instances within the story, such as showing us an argument but ending with only an audio recording of said argument between husband and wife. So that you have to then visualize what happened and decide for yourself what you believe the end of that argument to be. Uh, the way the trial plays out in the courtroom, in this French courtroom, is uh, truly visceral at times as our main character, Sandra, is torn apart. Her entire character and marriage is deconstructed bit by bit, action by action, story by story. Uh Sandra is played by Sandra Huller, but I think acting-wise, while Sandra Huller is amazing and will likely get a Best Actress nomination as a result of this, the real star acting-wise in this movie for me was Milo Machado Grainer as Sandra's young son, Daniel. Uh, his performance, amongst many others, it just feels so natural and real to me in ways that I find it hard to describe. I... It keeps you, this is more than just uh, Daniel in the movie, but it's all of the actors. They get you so invested in this trial and you believe everything that's happening. I can understand why I've been hearing about this movie within the entertainment circles for months now. It does not surprise me one bit because it is so well done. I'm really looking forward to award season to see, I think, Anatomy of the Fall is almost a lock for Best Picture nomination. I think it may get a screenplay nom as well as a surefire Best Actress nomination for Sandra Huller. I don't know if it'll win because this is a really tough year for a lot of those categories. One of my favorite movies I've seen so far this year really surprised me. I, I knew I was going to like it, but just how much I liked it really surprised me. Anatomy of a Fall is going to get a solid 9.0 out of 10. I truly enjoyed this movie, and I cannot recommend it enough if you have the chance to watch it. 
Alrighty, we're moving on. My uh, next bit, I'm going to talk fully about the Hunger Games franchise now. There was a recent release within the franchise that is back into the entertainment fold with the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I saw this the day before Thanksgiving, and then I rewatched the rest of the Hunger Games franchise because, as we know, I love franchises, so I just had to do it. I couldn't resist. So we're going to start specifically with our most recent release, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I think this movie did a number of things really well, and it did a few things kind of poorly. So let's start with the not-so-good things. It's a bit campy at times for me. The dialogue and the acting and the story feels kind of corny and not too genuine, which I think I should have expected a little bit from a movie like this, from a prequel movie, but it still kind of took me out of it at times, especially some of the dialogue in there. The pacing is kind of uneven. I was very wrapped into the movie and it felt like it was reaching what was a pretty logical conclusion. Abby sitting next to me felt the same way. We just happened to look at my watch because we were like, wow, this is flying by. And that's because there was still an hour left in the movie. That's never a good thing when you think a movie's about to be done and there's still an hour left. I personally wonder if at some point, they'd wanted this to be a two-parter, and they decided, no, we're bringing the franchise back. We can't do that with two parts. We have to do it with a solid one. I think it could have benefited from being two parts. Give the almost two separate stories here room to breathe. Give your characters room to breathe. That's my last kind of complaint is there are almost too many characters to keep track of and follow in this movie that the main ones you grow to really care about and be invested in don't have enough room to grow and be fully vested strong protagonist or antagonist there's a lot of things this movie did well though uh first and foremost is the world building like i said i love the hunger games franchise so that was always going to be a win for me but i feel this movie did really well giving us more history on pan am seeing this different time period 10 years after the rebellion 65 years before the hunger games trilogy I really enjoyed what it did, showing where the capital was, how it progressed, showing what life in the districts was like so many years ago. I think that world building was probably what the movie did best and what I most enjoyed. Then you have the score. And what's really interesting about this score, I think, is the fact that the movie has a number of musical numbers in it. And it's a really interesting device used in movies that are not musicals. And I think for each movie, you either love it or you hate it. And for me, it's a movie-by-movie movie basis. In The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I loved it. Rachel Zegler's got an amazing voice, in my opinion. I think she did a very good job with her musical numbers. Those were some of my favorite scenes of the movie. And not just her singing, but also I love the way she played her character. Uh, she's in social media getting a lot of hate for reasons I don't understand because I've seen her in Shazam, I've seen her in this, and I'm excited to see her in Snow White. I think she is a great actress and I really enjoy when I see her on the screen. So it'll be interesting to see how that discourse changes. I hope people stop bagging on her for whatever comment she's made about Snow White. Let actors say what they want to say. It doesn't have to be an attack on you. It's their opinion and that's that. So, But not only is her performance great, the performance by Tom Blythe as Coriolanus Snow, a younger version of President Snow, is perfect. I, I think 
Donald Sutherland playing Coriolanus Snow in the original movies was a perfect casting and the ability to cast a younger version of him so well was really impressive to me and I did love. I almost hoped to get more of Tom Blythe as Coriolanus Snow because he was that good. He carried that same menacing yet subdued performance into his version of this now almost iconic role. All in all, like I said, I really enjoyed this movie and I think it was a good time. And I think if you liked the original Hunger Games movies, you will absolutely like this. It's that simple. If you liked either the books or the movies, you could see this and enjoy it because it does such a good job of building the world, fleshing it out more and putting you back into it. Highly, highly recommend this. I think this is a movie that is very much worth watching in theaters partly because of those musical numbers and the grand scale of it. I think the big screen, the uh, surround sound just adds so much to a movie like this. It has me fully reinterested in the Hunger Games world and in Pan Am. I mean, I went and watched the original trilogy right afterwards because I was so invested. And everyone knows that I am someone that loves a franchise. I love a cinematic universe. I feel like the whole point of this movie, though, is to bring you back into this franchise. It's very clear studios love franchises for whatever reason. They feel that'll make them the most money. And once again, I'm welcoming our franchise overlords here because I just love the Hunger Games world so much. I really hope they make more. But let's talk about the original trilogy because as I rewatched it and I was logging the movies, I realized... Every single one of the first four Hunger Games movies, I had rated really lowly. I think the highest had been like two and a half stars, which was shocking to me because as I was really watching them, I really enjoyed them. And each one I seemed to enjoy for different reasons. The first Hunger Games movie, the original, I think did a great job of introducing you to the capital and the life of extravagance. They live there. I... Love that aspect of it. I think uh, characters like Caesar Flickerman, almost perfectly how I pictured such a character in my mind. I, I think Jennifer Lawrence, of course, as Katniss is amazing. I love Woody Harrelson as Hamish. Great casting choices in these movies. I That's probably my biggest compliment to all of the Hunger Games movies is every single time they really nail the casting. And it's so important in a movie like this in movies based on books to nail that casting. And then when you go from the original, which did a great job with the casting, the world building and representing that story, we go into Catching Fire, which was actually my previous lowest rated movie, is now my highest rated out of the franchise. I bumped up to four stars on Letterboxd, and I think there's a number of reasons. One, Bringing in Philip Seymour Hoffman as Plutarch Heavensby and Sam Claflin as Finnick were absolutely perfect casting choices. I love every scene Philip Seymour Hoffman is in in these movies. I think this is, of what I've seen from him, I think this is one of my favorite roles of his. He just embodies it so well. And then in Catching Fire, you get significantly more time with Donald Sutherland as President Snow, which is just perfect. He I already talked about this briefly, but he plays that President Snow role in such a menacing and subdued way that really fits the character. And it's how I pictured President Snow reading the books. And it was during Catching Fire 
and seeing that arena and how well they represented it and the unique aspect of those quarter quell games that it dawned on me how much I love this franchise and why I don't know why I didn't like these movies the first time because seeing this visual representation and this new medium of the story that I think I read the books twice when I was younger because I loved them that much. I had a much larger appreciation for them this time. And I really believe that is because there's more distance between me and the books now. I think when I first watched the movies, I was probably one of the people in the boat of the movies will never be the books. I don't like it for whatever uh, facetious reason I may have. There's just it's not for me and that's that and I'm not going to change my mind. With a lot of distance between me and the books now, I really loved this. I think when you look at, when you move on to Mockingjay and they split it into two parts, I'm typically not a fan of that, but I understand why you do it for the final part, the final book in a series translated into a movie because it allows you to stay more true to it. The downfall of that is it makes the movies kind of drag at times where in that one book you're within the character's head so it keeps you interested as you get more invested in this character and their thoughts and everything going on around them. You don't get that as much in the movie so they kind of have to fill those gaps. In Mockingjay Part 1 and really in both Mockingjay, I think Jennifer Lawrence finally got to really flex some depth for Katniss as a character. And I think she's the one that benefited the most from the two-part split. I, I still loved part one. And loved is probably a little bit strong of a word. It's just I enjoyed these a lot more than I remembered. And I think every time I go back and watch these movies, I'm going to enjoy them a little bit more because there's not much they do wrong. And I will say, as a result of this, I think I'm going to reread the book soon because I'm just an obsessive person. It's what I do. So I feel the need to fully invest myself in this world. And I've wanted to get back into reading. And why not do it with something that I've read and something I know I love? All in all, this is such a good franchise. If you have not watched any of the Hunger Games or read any of them, I highly suggest you watch the movies first. I'm always a believer that if there is a written medium and a visual medium, whether it be a movie or a show, I think you always do the visual medium first because it just makes that book so much better afterwards. Whereas if you read the book first and then you watch the movie, you're always looking for what's different. What did they not add? What did they miss? What did they change? I find when you watch that movie first and then read the book, it's just adding to something you already liked or loved. And I remember I did that with Game of Thrones years ago. I binged the whole show. And someone said, oh, you have to read the books. I was like, ah, I don't know about that. When I finally got around to it, I just started telling everyone, if you like the show, read the books because the books are literally the show on steroids. There's more storylines, there's more depth, there's more character, and there's everything you love included. There's just more of it. So if you are completely unintroduced to the Hunger Games franchise, read the books. Nope, sorry. If you are completely unintroduced, read the movies first and then go and read the books. I love those books. I love the world Suzanne Collins built. I loved how all these actors and actresses came together to play such great roles within the movies, whether it be Jennifer Lawrence, Woody Harrelson, Joss Hutcherson, Liam Hemsworth, Tom Blythe, uh, 
Rachel Zegler, Donald Sutherland. I could go on and on because there are so many great performances and the world building is so well done. I love this franchise. I really hope to see more of it in the future. Uh, and I'll just end where I began with my rating for The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is going to get a 7.5 out of 10. I really enjoyed this movie and it is a strong recommend to watch in theaters from me. And that's all the movies I have to review today. Uh, I think I maybe missed one movie that I've seen in theaters in the last month because I'm going to save that for around Christmas time because it's kind of a Christmassy movie. I'm really excited for what's coming next in theaters, though. December is going to be a very, very fun month. There's a number of movies I'm looking forward to and a number of movies that are going to be big contenders come award season. Let's just look at what some of those movies are. Uh, Dropping on Netflix, uh, December 1st is May-December. This is supposed to be a heavy award contender. I'm very much looking forward to it. A week later, you have Poor Things starring Emma Stone from director Yorgos Lathimos. Lathimos is a name I struggle to pronounce every time, but Emma Stone is a probably the front runner for Best Actress right now, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing what all that buzz is about. A lot of these movies are already getting award buzz because they've been released at festivals and people kind of know what to expect come award season, or at least somewhat to expect, so you constantly hear this early award buzz. Later in December, you have Wonka coming out, starring Timothy Chalamet as a younger Willy Wonka. I'm so much looking forward to this movie. I love the Willy Wonka movies, and I think Timothy Chalamet is a perfect casting for younger Wonka. The Zone of Interest is supposed to be incredibly dark and somber, and I've heard it is amazing. On the lighter end, you have Anyone But You, starring Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. I love a rom-com like this so i am excited for this to watch a more light-hearted movie in the theaters aquaman 2 is coming out this month a movie just absolutely wrapped in turmoil and from dc who has been struggling themselves i have rock bottom expectations for this movie but i will be seeing it ferrari and the color purple both come out on christmas day so maybe i'll go catch a christmas movie this year i used to do that with my family and i always loved that little tradition and then there's a few more that you've probably never heard of but i'm excited for you have silent night a christmas revenge story you have the boy and the heron from uh acclaimed animated director hayao miyazaki you have American Fiction starring Jeffrey Wright, who you may know from Westworld or the later Hunger Games movies. Migration from DreamWorks, uh, The Iron Claw from A24, or even The Boys in the Boat, directed by George Clooney. So December is a really busy month for movies. I still have four or five movies out right now that I want to see. That include Saltburn, Dream Scenario, Napoleon, Wish. They're just, it's a great time for movies. Actors are out there promoting again, and I'm very excited about the end of 2023 and how movies are looking. So hopefully I'll be back here within the next two weeks to talk about more movies. But as I mentioned at the top of the episode, life is pretty crazy for me right now. So it's only going to get crazier over the course of the next week. We'll see if I can get back. I've watched so many movies at home lately. I'll have to come on here and talk about those lately as all of those new-to-me movies have really excited me and have been a majority of the better movies I've watched lately. So that's all I have today. 
Thank you for joining me. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic. Download Letterboxd and friend me on there so you can see everything that I watch. And this has been fun. It's so nice to just talk about movies again. I love it. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby. This has been the Sidekick Critic Podcast. I'll see you next time.